Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. We're continuing our series talking about living on purpose, amen? And uh, we're talking about living purposefully. And Rhonda's done a great job this last two weeks tying in all that stuff about the lost and, uh, and just the things that God wants us to do with all that. How many still have your little thing in your pocket that you're carrying around to remind you? I loved it. We were golfing with... Sh- oh, I have paper in my pocket too. Uh, Cherie yesterday was using this as a ball marker when we were golfing, so that was really cool. We, uh, so that was fun to see. So anyway, uh, so we've been doing that and it's been great. We're looking at the par- several of the parables of Jesus and learning more about what he's trying to teach us through that. And in that, we're trying to discover more of our purpose in living. So to live purposefully, does that make sense? So today we're going to read a story about 10 people, who, who uh, five of whom were ready and five of whom were not. And we'll get to that in a moment. And, and you might say, well, ready for what? In this case, it was for a wedding. They were getting ready for a wedding, but in our case, it speaks of being ready for the return of Christ. Amen? He is coming soon. We sang the first song today, The King is Coming. Rhonda picked that song a month ago, I think, or weeks ago, and uh, didn't even know that I was preaching on this today. So that's just, that's how the Holy Spirit kind of works things out. And so, so, uh, but when I was young, we used to sing a song, and uh, it was called, uh, the, uh, we, we Shall See the King. And I apologize because the way we played back then, it's going to sound really country, and I don't particularly think of myself as a country person, but I can't help, I can't help but play this song that way. <laughs> so if you guys love this, don't tell me because I don't want to know. So, Ryan, I still think this guitar is a little quiet. How's it sound out there? Is it loud? I want it loud. I'm replacing the entire worship band with this. <clears throat> okay, maybe not that loud. And I'm singing through my little microphone here. Are you ready? Here we go. There's a blessed time that's coming, coming soon. It may be morning, evening, or at noon. I messed that up. (laughs) The wedding of the bride united with the groom. We shall see the king when he comes. Here's the chorus. Everybody sing it with me. We shall see the king. We shall see the king. We shall see the King when He comes. He is coming in power. All hail the blessed hour. We shall see the King when He comes. Now here's the title of my message. Are you ready? Are you ready should the Savior call today? Think about it. Would Jesus say well done or go away? My home is for the pure, the vile can never stay. We shall see the King when He comes. Everybody sing the chorus, here we go. We shall see the King, we shall see the King, we shall see the King when He comes. He's coming in power, all hail the blessed hour. We shall see the King when He comes. One more verse. Oh, my brother or sister. My brother, are you ready for the call? (laughs) To crown your Savior, King and Lord of all. It's true. The kingdoms of this world shall soon before Him fall. We shall see the King when He comes. You guys aren't as into this as I thought you'd be. Come on, let's go. Oh, we shall see the King. Everybody clap. Oh, we shall see the King. 
We shall see the King when He comes. I love it. He's coming in power. All hail the blessed hour. We shall see the King. I know you want to do the chorus one more time, don't you? Everybody sing it out. We shall see the King. We shall see the King. We shall see the King when He comes. He's coming in power. All hail the blessed hour. We shall see the King when He comes. Woo! Are you ready? <laughs> we're ready for you to put down your guitar. That's what we're ready for. Come on. All right. Did you feel it? Did you feel it? And that's why Rhonda learned to play guitar. Because <laughs> of stuff like that. <laughs> I know, it's just joking around. So, are you ready? I love that song. Are you ready should the Savior call today? Are you ready today for what He's going to do? Are you ready for the call, it says? Are you ready, and this is it, the, for the wedding of the bride of Christ to be united with the groom? Are you ready for that day? Amen? Amen. Let's look at Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Again, one of Jesus' parables that uh, so many times these can be understood in different ways. And I think sometimes people, uh, and I, I admire people who can do this, they take every little detail of a parable like this and think, and they make something out of it. And I'm not sure Jesus really intended for I think they're like a story with a central point kind of a thing. But sometimes, here's what I think, I think we miss the point sometimes. And I think maybe with this one, we may have missed the point a little bit. Uh, I, or, or I think it could have kind of a dual point to it, if you will. But here we go. Starting in verse 1 of Matthew 25. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. And they were all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both of us and you. So instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. The door was shut. Later, the others came Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. You hearing the warning in there? Come on, let's pray. God, just speak these words to our hearts. Speak us to us about the things that we need to get out of this today. Help us to be those who are constantly looking and ready and being, being uh, obedient to you along the way, God, to, to always be looking for your coming. In Jesus Christ's name, amen? amen? Amen. So, hey, today's the day that we set our clocks back. I noticed a lot of you looked a lot more cheerful than usual. That's good. Maybe think about going to sleep a little earlier on Saturdays from now on. I think that would work too. But um, It's generally a great day for pastors. We, this is a happy day for pastors because people not only come to church early, but they're happy. And, uh, and you know, that's all good. But a, a lot of times, honestly, when it's the, the uh, spring, uh, spring forward thing, 
It's a terrible day for pastors. People show up late or they don't come at all because they forgot to set their clocks in the days, especially when we didn't have phones that automatically updated, which is much better now. But still, bottom line, everybody shows up and they're all grumpy because they didn't get enough sleep and they're cantankerous. And it's just a rough day. It's like we ought to just cancel church that day or do it an hour later or something. I don't know what we should do. I'm just joking. It's not that bad. So, so, so you know, this idea of oversleeping, I, I remember... I used to, and Rhonda can attest to this, I used to, I'm still a heavy sleeper, but I used to be ridiculously heavy sleeper. I, in Bible college, I could set alarms, I'd set two or three of them, and I could sleep through hours of, bang, 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 you know, going off, and I just wouldn't wake up. I could literally sleep through anything. It was, it was pretty sad and pretty amazing at the same time. But. So, um, so one time back in the late 80s, when Rhonda and I were associate pastors at the Ellensburg Foursquare Church, um, I was supposed to open the church at 6 a.m., on a Monday for prayer. And uh, so I, I think I woke up at 5.59 that day, even though my alarm had gone off. I think I'd hit the snooze button, which is stupid. I have since learned to put the alarm clock across the room because if I hit the snooze button, it takes me 0.2 seconds to fall right back asleep. So uh, I put it across the room and I got better at that. But, but I was supposed to be leading this prayer thing in one minute while we lived across the street from the church and I just hurried and got ready as quick as I can. I ran across the street to the church. I get there and there are two young ladies that were going to college at that time. Um, and that showed up. They were the only two that showed up besides me uh, for this prayer meeting. So we go inside, and I grab my guitar real fast. We went up the stairs to this prayer room, and so we're all sitting there, and, and I led a couple songs of worship, and I began to, but th- I noticed that they kept talking among each other and kind of smirking a little bit, and I thought, what's going on? It's so weird. And so, uh, you know, I just kind of kept, they kept staring at me, and finally I had to ask. Well, it turned out that in those days, Ron and I had a blanket on our bed that it was sort of like a very coarse weave. It looked like a bunch of squares, like a waffle almost, woven together. And apparently, at, at some point in the night, that blanket had got under my face, and I was sleeping on the side of my face, and so they, they waited two songs, three songs into it to tell me that I had this waffle print on my face. I don't appreciate that. I think you should let me know if I've got stuff in my teeth or, you know, stuff like that. And so, you know, they, they, I probably had leftover drool marks on my face, too, for all I know, but... But I used to, back in those days, because that kind of thing happened occasionally to me, and it was just so frightening to me, I hated it. But one time, I, I, or occasionally, I'd have, this seriously happened to me more than once, I had this reoccurring dream of leading worship, but I was supposed to lead worship, and it was the same kind of a scenario I could picture myself, because we lived right across the street, and I wake up, and it's like 10 a.m., it's time for church, I'm supposed to be up there leading worship, and so I would, I would have to just throw on my bathrobe, and I'd run over to the church in my bathrobe, and get up there and lead worship, and I was so humiliated, but I felt like it was so important to lead, and this was a reoccurring nightmare that I continued, it was a nightmare for me, because it was so, I would wake up in a cold sweat, and, and back in those days, I was really a fan of Jack Hayford, who's a, uh, he's since retired. He's a great pastor from Southern California that I, I went to his church for a year. And anyway, you may not know who he is, but he's a great man of God. And he was, at that time, he was just a, a real big part of our denomination and pastor of the biggest church in Foursquare and all this. And, and in my second time I had this reoccurring nightmare, he came to church to preach that day, and I showed up in my bathrobe to lead worship. That was, I may as well have been naked. I, you know, it was just the worst thing ever for me. So... Back in those days, my life verse was Proverbs uh, 24, 16. As the door turns on its hinges, so the slugger turns on his bed. That was my life verse for, for those days. <laughs> that's not true at all of me today, thank God. I, I don't know what made the switch, but almost without exception, Rhonda could tell you, I'll wake up 
uh, is even before my alarm goes off most days, like I did this morning, and it's, you know, I still sleep really soundly, thank God. I love that part, but uh, at least I, I don't, I'm not getting up late. I'm ready for what I need to be ready for. Amen? The custom of that day, that, of the story we just read, was that uh, we sing the song, Here Comes the Bride, right? But in those days, it was different. The, the, they would sing, Here Comes the, they, they had the idea of Here Comes the Groom, okay? And it was like, they, they'd have this week-long celebration for the uh, bride and the groom. They, instead of going on a honeymoon, they'd just have a massive party for a week. And so, but the wedding would take place later, and so what would happen was everybody who was supposed to be invited to the wedding, the, the groom would uh, at some point make his entrance into the thing, come through, and, and then lead this entourage to the, the wedding itself. And so in this story, it, it, it's strange how it's happening so late at night. It's, they're sleeping, everybody's sleeping, and then, and then the announcement comes, the groom is coming, the groom is coming, and there are some who are ready, and there are some or not. And I think the traditional way to understand this passage, this parable, is that knowing that there's people in the world who have not received Christ as Savior, and this is absolutely true, who will not go when the Lord comes. They will not be uh, joining Him in the clouds who will not. And so this is a very sad and sobering thought to think about that there's those who don't know the Lord. This really ties into what Rhonda preached on last week about we've got to do everything we can. We have to be reminded to pray for and reach out to those who don't know Jesus. Reach out to the lost. And so but we, the traditional way is to think about it this ter- in these terms. And, and so there's some who are believers and um, some who are not. For, for those who are not believers, it's said to be a, like a thief in the night. With just like out of nowhere, this thief comes and it was unexpected. And, and, but, but, but the fact is we, we already know that the unbeliever is not ready for the Lord's return, right? It's almost like stating the obvious in this case. And so they, they aren't even part of the wedding party yet. And I use that word yet with, with a lot of emphasis because our expectation is that everybody, see, the Lord wants everybody to be saved. He's not willing that any should perish. He wants all to come to salvation. So that, that's God's will. So let's get on the train with God's will. So, so there's, uh, you know, there's, but there's obviously people who think they have plenty of time to sit around and do what they want, and they, but they really need to get their lives in order and to give their lives to Jesus. So, so they're are plenty of passages in the Bible that describe the condition of the lost. We get that. But this passage, I really believe, is hitting at something very different. Think about what the virgins had in common. They, they all had lamps. They all had, they're all waiting. And, and to some degree, they all had a measure of oil, right? And they had all fallen asleep. So, so what was different? Well, five of them didn't have enough oil. They weren't prepared enough. That's really the, the bottom line of, of what's going on there in a practical sense. And I believe that this parable is not describing the difference between those who are saved and unsaved, those who are believers and unbelievers. I believe this is describing the condition of people in the church. Some are truly ready. They're lamps. They got plenty of oil. And some are just kind of skating right now. And they're just coming along and they think, you know, I'm getting by. It's okay. I don't need to, right? Do you catch where I'm going with that? So, so this, the point of this story is that believers would be prepared. Believers would be prepared. What are we to be prepared for? The coming of the groom. The coming of the groom. Some might say, well, I've already received Christ, and by default, I'm ready. Yeah, 
But, but we make a terrible, we do an injustice to salvation and to the work of Jesus on the cross and all that it pertains to in our lives when we think that receiving Christ is simply a ticket to heaven. It's like, okay, I, I believe that you died for my sins. I confess you as Lord. Thank you for my ticket. I got the golden ticket to heaven. I'm good. Now I just live my life however I want. No, 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 no. That, that is not ever in the end. That's not what Jesus wants right? Now, I don't have time to get into the intricacies and the, the issues we have. We had a little discussion this week about the security of the believer and how, how are we secure. There's some who say, yeah, if you're saved, you, you can't unbe saved. Well, listen, I don't know about all that for sure. I lean that you can lose your salvation only if you choose to lose it, right? But, but I don't want to play games with that whole scenario. Like, let's not, let's not mess around the edge of that poisonous, toxic pool of garbage that's there, right? When there's a divine swimming pool of God's love over here, we can all jump into and enjoy. Let's, let's just decide right now, we don't want to even be anything to do with that kind of thinking that says, I can do what I want and I get to go to heaven because I have the ticket. I don't, man, even if that was true, I would rather not live that way, would you? Okay, so, but, but let's, I, I don't think it is true. So, so I believe it's possible for Christian people to sever their relationship with the vine. Because he says, here's what I think about eternal security. You're secure as long as you remain in Christ. And what does remaining in Christ mean? It means fruitfulness. Doesn't it? If, if he says, there, what does he say about trees that don't bear good fruit? Man, I'm having a whole other message coming to my mind right now, but I can't, I can't do it. I've got to stay on track. <laughs> I told you this is going to be long. I hope you're buckled in. Okay, so uh, the, the food will keep at the restaurant or wherever you're going. Okay, so uh, I want to just show you, uh, I think I have it here. Uh, no, maybe I, I wanted you to turn to it. That's right. So Luke 12, if you can, but, but let me read it to you. It's a similar passage of Scripture. It doesn't go into all the detail about the, the, the virgins that are ready and those that are not, but, but it sort of s- summarizes, the, the, I guess, the essence of what it's about. And Luke uh, 12, 35 through 38 says, Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It'll be good for those servants who master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve and will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. That's, there, there's, I want to get back to that in a moment, but there's something really powerful about that passage there. I want you to notice these three things that he tells us. Be dressed, ready for service, keep your lamps burning, and be watching. Okay, We're going to talk about those three real quick as we go on. First of all, be dressed. The word uh, servant, where it says be dressed and ready for service, and then in verse 36, like servants. The word servant here in many other places in the New Testament is the word doulos. Several weeks ago, I went into a little more depth on that, talked about the idea of being a bond slave of the Lord, being a servant of the Lord. This word is used where it says in this sentence here, it'll be good for those servants, it's doulos. It's a, it, some would translate it a slave. That may have negative connotations in the English language, but it, but it is a bond servant of the Lord. It's a servant of God, okay? And so the, so the first thing the Lord says about being ready is being dressed for service, being ready. And, and uh, I love it in the old King James Version, it, this phrase there, being dressed for service, we'll talk more about that in a moment, but, but, uh, but this idea, he said, let your, in the King James it said, let your loins be girded about. 
Let your loins be girded about. Isn't, wouldn't that be crazy if we still talk like that today? <laughs> wouldn't that be nuts? You know, I'm sure in Shakespeare's day, that made perfect sense to people. <laughs> but today, we'd be like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't, it's weird for me. So, so as awkward, though, as the old English is, it maybe gives us a better idea of what Jesus really meant here. He's not simply talking about having our clothes on, but specifically being ready for service, not just being dressed, not, you know, but, but so again, go back to the, the idea of having a robe on. In those days, you wore long robes most often, and, and so when you needed to either run or you were going to do a lot of work around the house, the length of the robe would just get in your way. You'd be tripping over it all the time, and so what people would do is they usually had a belt of some sort, so they would gird up their loins. They'd bring part of the cloth up and, and tuck it in so that they had a kind of a shorter robe so they could get around and get after the stuff that needed to be done. You with me? Okay. That's what it meant to gird your loins in those days. And so, uh, so another time you would do this again is if you were laboring or serving around the house, you'd gird up your loins so you could get around and do things unhindered. Now, as with any parable, a stri- again, a strict interpretation is not advised, but first of all, I don't see anybody coming in with a robe today. And all this talk about loins is making me uncomfortable. I don't know how you feel about it. So what what do we do to apply this to our lives? What does it mean for us today? Very simply stated, we must get rid of things that hinder us out of the way. Get those things out of the way so that we can serve. Get stuff out. Get anything that's hindering you from serving out of the way. Well, what kinds of things hinder us? I don't think we're... we're, Listen, I don't think sin is the, the entire issue, though it may be related to sin can get in there for sure. We all agree sin can hinder us, right? But what if, what if the things that the Lord's talking about, and I, I'm going to prove it to you that I, I think there's more to it than just sin here. Uh, Hebrews um, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, we're going to put it up on the screen here. But Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 follows Hebrews chapter 11. I went to Bible college and I learned that there. It's pretty impressive, don't you think? So, yeah. But the connection is, is that chapter 11 is this incredible recounting all the way from the time of uh, the, the Garden of Eden where Abel offered a sacrifice and he, by faith he did that and Noah built an ark by faith and on and on it goes. It tells about the heroes of faith, some who were by their faith led into victory, some who by their faith ended up being sawn in two and, and, and all these different horrible things happened to them. But at the end, they were all commended for their faith. Right? And then you start chapter 12 and it says, verse 1, therefore, and as you know, right, if you see a therefore, look and see what it's therefore, right? Because therefore is speaking about what just happened. But not only does it say therefore, it goes on and it says, since we are surrounded. So it's almost like he's duplicating it there. He's therefore, either, you could have just started the sentence by saying, since we are surrounded. So it's almost like Paul is like, or whoever wrote Hebrews is just saying, I really want you to pay attention to this. So I'm going to say it kind of twice in different ways. Therefore, since we're surrounded by that cloud of witnesses, all those people in Hebrews 11, right? He says, since that's true, then he, he says, with that in mind, now let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance a race marked out for us. So, so he says, again, since we have this example of people who live these extraordinary lives by faith, our response is to do what we have to do so that we can do the same. Yeah. We, we're told to throw off everything that hinders us. Now, notice, notice, this is important. It says, throw off, and then it says, and the sin. So throw off everything that hinders and the sin. Yeah. So you, you're tracking with me, right? So there's sin that it hinders us, but 
There's other stuff that isn't sin, and this is where the church has the biggest problem. I'm just going to be real about it with you, is we can get so caught up in and so distracted by things of this world that are not necessarily sinful things. Come on, help me out. What are some things that we could... Come on, what? Busyness. Facebook, yes. Social media. Games, good. What else? Work, somebody said? This is true. All of these things in their place are good, potentially, right? There's nothing sinful about going to work. But if it consumes us and it hinders us from our overall, our highest calling, we're missing what he has for us. And so there could be entertainment. There could be sports. Look, I love the Seahawks. I'll, I'll probably watch them today. But, but when it becomes consuming to us and hinders us, for, right? Do you see where I'm going with this? They're not sinful things, but they're things that hindered us. And so when he says, be dressed, be ready for service, gird up your loins, get, get rid of, get the stuff that's in the way of you doing what you need to do so you can get after the things that God wants you to do. Be dressed to be ready. Are you ready today? Are you ready in Jesus' name? The second thing we're told to do is keep our lamps burning. I can't help but make a connection here to the, the, to the baptism of the Holy Spirit as we think about fire and we think about oil. In the Old Testament, these were symbols of the Spirit's work in the midst of His people when the oil... In uh, Exodus uh, 27, 21, we read that Aaron and his sons were to keep the lamps burning before the Lord from evening until morning. Evening until morning. I want you to notice it says to keep them burning from evening till morning. Evening till morning. Because, here's the deal, this makes sense because why? Because that's when lamps are lit. Right? Not real difficult to figure out there, but I just want to draw our attention to that. But here's something to really think about because it is in the times of darkness that we need the light the most. It's in the midst of darkness that we need something that lights our way. And so what I, what I believe that he's going after here, you know, is that, that we need to keep our lamps burning from evening till morning. And it makes perfect sense, again, because that's when it's dark. We're not making a case for no sleep here, but what, there's something about darkness in the physical and in this world, don't you agree, that provides cover for awful things to happen. In fact, statistically, uh, two-thirds of all rapes happen at night. Almost three-quarters of all car theft is at night. Drunk driving happens at night four to one over daytime. So, so, so we, we might say, well, I don't do any of those things you just mentioned, but let's take an honest inventory of our own lives. Are we viewing things on television or on the internet after dark? Are we, are we drinking excessively after dark? Come on. I didn't get an amen on that. Listen, listen, I don't care if you drink wine and have a beer with dinner. I really don't care about that. I don't. That's a personal calling that I feel like it's important to put on. But if you're getting drunk, if you're getting to where you're not, you're missing what God has for you. It, it, listen, it, drinking a, a beer or a wine is not sin. Drinking excessively is sin, right? But here, let me say something about this. If you're so consumed with alcoholic beverages that it, you kind of, it's just weird. I'm around people who they start talking about alcohol and all of a sudden their voices change and they get all giggly and like, there's something wrong. When it's just not a beverage to you anymore where it's something you're <laughs> about, you, you're, something's wrong. You need to get a, a little heart check, seriously. Proverbs talks about it. They, they linger over their bowls of mixed wine. They gaze at it as it sparkles in the cup. Man, I don't care if you go to a winery and, you know, take a look and see what the product is, but if that's your whole life is consumed with wrapping your life around going to the next brewery or the next winery, I'm just telling you, these are things that hinder. 
I don't know. Can I, can I say that stuff? Will everybody be here next week? If I preach the truth here, will that work? Okay. It's just real stuff. So, so how do we keep our lamp burning? David found the answer before he was even King David, while he was David the fugitive. Did you know he had that side of his life? He was being hunted down by the po- most powerful man in the nation, King Saul. And this went on for year after year after year for well over a decade. And King, King Saul went after him. But in Psalm 18, David says these words. He says, you, Lord, keep my lamp burning, and my God turns my darkness into light. Well, think of that for a moment. You keep my lamp burning, God. See, this is, the, this is the job of the Holy Spirit in our lives, is to keep our lamp burning. He comes alongside us and empowers us, enables us to live holy lives for God, gives us the power to actually do that. And He is the oil, and He is the fire in our lamps. It comes from Him, and through Him, and for Him are all things, as Romans 11 tells us. So when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, we're empowered to live those lives that He meant for us to live. Jesus says, be ready, keep your lamps burning. I believe He's alluding to the Holy Spirit-filled believers, conquering sin and worry and burnout because we're filled with the oil of the Holy Spirit. Here's the deal. He's providing the oil, and He's providing the fire. You say, well, man, I'm off the hook. No, you're not. Because those virgins, you remember, it says they got up, and what did they do? They trimmed their lamps. I don't know exactly what that looked like, but I'm guessing it had something to do with getting rid of the old crud, the old busted up, rotten parts of our lives, the stuff that are useless, getting fresh before God, trimming those lamps. You see what I'm saying? And, And getting that thing ready so then the power of the Lord can work through us, so then the light of Jesus can shine through us. Are you guys okay? Can I keep preaching or do you need to go? Okay, I got one more. Be dressed for service. Be, keep your lamps burning and finally be watching. Be watching. Maybe this isn't going to be what you think it is, but, but hold on. First of all, let me say he is coming soon. He really is. He will come at a time when the world is not expecting. It could be today. It could be this moment. It could be any moment now. Don't, don't give in to these, oh, all the prophecies haven't been fulfilled. We don't know. Who could figure out prophecy? Everybody says something different about prophecy. Nobody knows, okay? Jesus could come today. I have my own date picked. It's pretty soon, trust me. Uh, maybe there'll be a prize we get to heaven. Whoever gets closest to the date will be like. <laughs> the Bible says no one knows the hour or the day, but I know the year. So I'm not, okay. So just saying. If you want to talk to me about it, I'll tell you later. But I, should, I shouldn't have stood behind the pulpit when I said that. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so but, but, but having this idea, getting this, we're getting a sense of the days. Remember earlier I said that for those who are unbelievers, the Lord's coming will be like a thief in the night. But then the Bible goes on to say, but you brothers and sisters, you're not, that's not like it for you. It's not the same thing. He's not coming as a thief in the night for you and me. He's coming as a groom we're expecting to come. He's, we're expecting him. We don't know the exact moment, perhaps, but we've got a sense. We know it's happening soon. We're ready. We're just on edge. We're like, this has got to be. And maybe, hopefully, we're not getting too drowsy, you know, like the virgins got a little drowsy and fell asleep. Hopefully, we're ready and we're alert and all that stuff. But I'm just saying, we know when he's coming. We get a feeling of it. There will be a readiness. We've all experienced this idea, this, this idea of being ready. And want, when our kids tell us they're coming over, right, they're going to visit, it's like that day. What time are they supposed to get here? We'll be talking back and forth, right? Uh, they said about 2. Well, you know, but if they have to stop or if the traffic's bad. So somewhere around 1.30, there's just this, you can just feel it in the room. There's a buzzing anticipation. Not only are our kids coming, 
forget them. The grandkids are coming. That's the part. That's the, oh, thank you, Lord. So, so we get all excited because the grandkids are coming over. We just can't, and it's sort of like we both want to be just standing at the window the moment they drive up and waving and then opening the door and going out to the car to greet them. I mean, we're just so excited. We're anticipating. It's, Rhonda has uh, taken up a new hobby lately of buying golf clubs. She just, I'm just being real. It's the truth. And she, uh, she's bought a couple of golf clubs recently that uh, have come in. They, she buys them used. They come in the mail in these long, long boxes. And I kid you not, Friday, I'm standing out doing some yard work, and the mailman drives up, and he gets out with a big, long box. He says, I've got another golf club for Rhonda. <laughs> this is not a lie. I'm not making this up. It's the truth. But it's so funny. When she orders a club, she's like that. She's at the, at the window like... When's it coming? I hope it comes today. <laughs> she's like, she's insatiable when it comes to wanting that thing. It, but there's, don't you love that idea of the anticipation of the good things that are coming? I'm telling you, let's let our anticipation build. Lord, Lord knows, when we used to sing those old songs that I sang to you today, in our church in those days, it seemed like every second song or third song was about the coming of the Lord. And we don't talk about it much anymore. We don't sing about it much. But we need to get our stuff together and start talking. Our King is coming. He's coming soon. Thank God for that new song that came today, and we're going to sing it again at the end. I hope you're ready for that. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. So, so as amazing as the coming of the Lord will be, and it's going to be soon, there's a different kind of watching that I want us to focus on today. And if we can take that same sense of anticipation and begin to overlay it on top of our everyday lives, we might get more of a sense of what the Lord really wants us to experience. I read through that text a few moments ago. I don't know if you caught it or not, but, but I, I want to point out something I used to miss every time I would read this passage in verses 37 and 38 of Luke. And we're going to put this one on the screen here. Look at this. Let's, let's think about this. Now, don't let me just read it and you just run out of the pastor's reading and tune out. Really think about right now what is being said. This is Jesus speaking to you and me. It'll be good for those servants, say, that's me, whose master finds them watching when he comes. Are we ready? Are we watching? Now watch this. Truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. Does that, is that okay to you? Does that like not strike you a little strange? Didn't, do you remember we started this talking about the servants and we're the servants of God? Wait, wait, wait. Who's dressing himself to serve? Come on, don't be, don't be shy. You getting it? That's right. It's talking about Jesus, the groom. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. We'll have them recline at the table and come wait on them. If your mind isn't blown, you might be a little asleep still. It will be good for those servants who master finds them ready. He's talking about something far more. It, as wonderful as the coming of the Lord is, he's talking about something that can happen moment by moment in our lives. As we are finding ourselves in a state of readiness, notice he's saying it'll be good for those servants because the master will come and dress himself to serve. What? What is he saying? He's going to have us recline at the table. He's going to dress himself to serve. And if we understood the Greek language, we'd recognize that the word used for Jesus is a different word that when we talked about doulos, they're... they're they're not even the same word, but they both start with a D or a, a, a delta or a delta, depending on how you pronounce the Greek. So, but, but the word is diakono, which is where we get the word deacon. 
in the church. We, we, we don't call people deacons here, but people who are here that serve, that do things, that do practical things in the church of all kinds, uh, uh, even including teaching children and all that. There's a deacon ministry that that's about. And so what Jesus is saying is he's going to come as a deacon, as a servant among us, and he will take care of us. He will supply us with the food. He will supply us with the necessities of life. He will attend to anything that's in our best interest. He will care for and take care of us, and he's going to look after you and me. Come on, if that doesn't make you excited, somebody should shout amen at this moment when you realize what an amazing God we serve. Jesus is telling us that there are times in our lives, maybe every day, that he's going to come as the groom right now in this moment, in your day-to-day life, in your living room, in your kitchen, in your workplace, in your school. He's going to show up when you're walking down the street. As you're doing different activities, if we're just ready, we're living in a state of readiness, the Lord's going to show up. He's turning the tables on this whole thing. Yes, we're to be dressed and ready to serve, but when we get to that moment, He's going to show up and say, now let me show you what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to show up. I'm going to serve you. And we are the ones who end up being blessed. We are the ones who end up being fed and satisfied. God is good. He is so good. Hallelujah. So are you being daily watchful for the coming of the Lord into your life in situation after situation, in moment by moment? Are you ready? Are you ready in the moment? Amen? Worship team, come on back up. Dressed to serve, lamps trimmed, burning, and watching for his, not only his return in the cloud, but for that moment by moment time when he shows up in our situation to bring refreshing to us and to others around us. That's called living on purpose, folks. That's called purposeful living. That's what this is all about. And there are some in the church, honestly, I'm just going to be real for a moment, that think that they're born again. They may even think they're ready, but they are neither. We were talking in Rooted this last Sunday night about, about, and somebody brought, I don't even remember the whole conversation, but I I remember using an old illustration I've heard many times before. You probably have two uh, that just simply says, it, just because you walk into a, car, a garage doesn't make you a car, right? You've heard that before? And in the same way, going to church is not the goal. This is like, this is like the whipped cream topping on top of your, of your ice cream, which is your relationship with the Lord. And this part is important, and I'm not going to minimize how important church is, but I'm just saying to you, this is not what makes you a Christian showing up here every week. This is the result of being a Christian, of being a believer. You show up here as an out, uh, outworking of the life of Christ that's in you. That's what it's about. And so, so it's possible, honestly, that people come and they think, yeah, I, I need to be a better person. I think I'll go to church today. And they miss entirely the point of the gospel is that it would become personalized, and it isn't about showing up to a church, thinking we're going to make God happy by showing up to, to do things because maybe he's, he's not angry with you. He loves you so much He gave His Son for you. So it's possible in any church at any time, there's people sitting here today, you've been a faithful part, but you just really have never given your life to Jesus. And, and in such a way, like what I just described, where you're ready, you're serving Him, you're getting rid of things that hinder you in your life. Nobody's perfect, I'm not perfect but you're starting to get better at it, right? So in this moment, I'm going to give an invitation. And I'm going to ask people that maybe you say, well, either, either you don't know the Lord or you have been faking it and you need to come to Jesus or you just want to rededicate your life to Jesus. Maybe you've given your life to Him and you just feel like you're being drawn back. Whatever that looks like, I want to see you be able to respond today if that's who you are today. 
just think about it. What would life be like if the group of people who we lived in community here and lived in a state of readiness like that? What would happen? What would it mean for our own families, for our community, and for our church family? What would that, how would life look different? What would that mean for us as individuals? What, let's do whatever it takes to aware, uh, raise our awareness level. What do you say? Are you agreeing with me? And let's shake off the things that hinder us to be aware of the empowering of the Holy Spirit, that fire and oil of the Spirit, and in that constant state of watching. Man, talk about, let's be living in that spot of readiness all the time. Could you stand with me? I want to pray for you. Do you know today, are you ready for sure? As the song I sang earlier says, are you ready should the Savior call today. The calling may be is coming in the clouds. You certainly want to be ready for that, but are you ready in this moment for the Lord to speak into your life and to, to, to speak to you and maybe change something, maybe speak to something that you've been hindered with in your life and say, hey, I want you to get rid of That's become an idol to you. That's become something that you are not prepared to do what you need to do for me because you're being hindered by that. Not a sin necessarily, but just something that's hindering. Let's, let's take a moment for examination of our hearts today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Now, in this holy moment right now, I'm just going to ask you, if you're here today, and one of those three things is true, you either never received Christ, or you received Christ a long time ago, and uh, you're coming back to Him, or in the third scenario, you've you've come to realize that you've just been coming to church because you feel like it's an obligation, but you just don't feel like the, the, real, the reality of your relationship with God is there anymore. If, that, if any of those scenarios apply to you, I want you to raise your hand right now and just say, yeah, I'm ready to make a change. I'm ready to become what God wants me to become. Good for you. I'm so proud of you, young man. Who else would say yes to the Lord today? You just say, I'm ready. I, you know, I'm a, I want to be ready. If that's you, raise your hand. Good for you. Good for you. Good, a couple of you. Excellent. Excellent. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask everybody to repeat a prayer after me. And this is a typical prayer that we would pray for salvation. But I want us to understand as we pray it that we are, maybe for some it's just a coming back prayer. We always do this all together. I'm going to ask you to pray it with me. But it isn't important what you say. This isn't like magic where you say certain words and something happens. This is saying a prayer because if you believe what you pray, that's, that's between you and the Lord, then that's when salvation happens. That's when new life happens. That's when that freshness of life will happen. So please, everybody repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for me and live a life for me. Jesus, I confess to you that I have sinned. I've become distracted. I've been hindered by all kinds of things. But today I'm asking you to forgive me, to cleanse me from all my sin, and help me to follow you wholeheartedly. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. And I'm confessing you as Lord, the master of my life. I give everything to you. And I choose to live for you from this day forward. And we tack an amen at the end. It's just saying yes. Everybody say amen.
Thank you, Lord. Come on, let's just lift thanksgiving to God once again. Thank you, Lord, for salvation. Thank you, you saved our souls. Come on, church, remember when you got saved. Remember when you gave your life to Jesus. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful you've known Him all this time? How much better our lives has been since we've known Him. Thank you. God, we want to be a ready people. I pray for your church today that we will be ready for what you have for us, moment by moment, and ultimately ready for your soon return. Help us, Lord, to do what we learned last week as well, to love the lost, to pray for the lost, and to invite others to the wedding banquet, Lord God. Thank you that you are the groom and we are the bride. We just give ourselves fully and completely over to you. Now work through us, we pray, in the mighty name of Jesus. Once again, we say amen. Thank you for listening to Praise Center Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.